What's up, guys? How you doing? We're here for our fifth episode of Multi-Hyphenate. I'm with Jesse Shapiro, a writer, musician, AI explorer, sound designer, um, artist. One of the best artists I know, one of the most vigorous creators and also unique um, stylings. Is this man right here? Uh, thanks for doing this, brother. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah. How you doing today? I'm good. You know, yeah. I'm. I'm, uh, I'm editing. And uh, you, you work know, from home now, right? I'm working from home. I trained up in this position over the summer, um, going into Burbank, into uh, my buddy's shop. I think you know my buddy Kevin. Mm -hmm. Um. You want to talk a little bit about what you're doing there, and we can circle back to it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I have been cutting uh, BGs on two Dick Wolf shows: Law and Order, um, the original reboot, and then Law and Order SVU. Um, both of which are in their twenty-something season. Yeah, twenty-two and, and twenty-four, uh, respectively. Yeah, and BG means background for anybody out there who's like, "What the fuck." Yeah, and you know it's all the noisecapes you hear that you don't really hear, but you know or feel that are there in the background of a scene that make it authentic. Yeah, more so is that kind of. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty accurate. It's basically like anything that's not a hard effect that you would see on screen. Mm. So yeah, room tones and and sounds of traffic, you know, interior and exterior traffic, birds. What time of year is it? I you know sparrows in the summer, crows in the winter. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that makes total sense actually. Yeah, there are a lot of rules. There are a lot a lot of rules about what what New York sounds like. Hmm. Um, we're cutting the sirens back because because last season New York was lit, just like yeah. sirens, <laughs> sirens everywhere, and they were like, it's it's a little too lit. Like let's dial let's dial it back. There's not chaos like around the the, yeah <laughs> around every corner good man well yeah. uh let's start with something easy where are you from i am from denver colorado mm -hmm. um, and what's your relationship to that city like do you love it are you happy to leave how do you find it these days um you know it's no longer home it's changed mm -hmm. a lot i've been but i've been in la for you know 13 or 14 years now so yeah, it just feels different. I still love Colorado. I, I still love, like, how sort of crunchy Colorado feels. Mm. Um, but it's just a little different, you know? It's, it's, it feels more like a major metropolitan city than it did when I was growing up. It was when I was growing up there, but even more so now. Mm. Um, so, yeah, fondly, but, you know, I'm not rushing back there. A lot of my friends have moved on. My parents have, you know, moved. My parent has moved on. Um, mm -hmm. to a new place in Arizona. So, like, I don't really have many ties or roots there anymore. So That's interesting. You know, when everybody sort of starts to clear out of where you're from. Yeah. It sort of happened to me recently. My mom's still there, but if I go home, I don't really recognize any of my friends that I still stay in touch with, at least. It's interesting. Yeah. It's the Garden State thing. <clears throat> In what way? Like, what is... 
he talks about it when he's in the pool with his like uber rich friend who creates like sil silent velcro or whatever <laughs> <laughs> he's like they have that really cute moment in the pool and between zach and natalie and he's they're just talking about how home is like it it, it doesn't feel like an actual like physical place it's more just like a feeling relative to the people that you're closest to and that's mm. more the feeling of home is like having having a community and and relationships basically yeah well, that makes sense so <clears throat> at what point did you come to art how as a yeah let's start there at what point did you find art in your life and what did that look like that's an interesting question i guess from a super formative time like i loved legos like any kid but i think mm -hmm. the extension of legos was like working with sculpey clay and like working with my hands a lot when i was really mm -hmm. young and like kind of like playing out these like massive battles and and mm -hmm. conflicts with the clay and like making guns and they would shoot each other and like mm -hmm. i i remember the first raider movie i saw was terminator so like everything was like a hole in your mm -hmm. shoulder and like so it was <laughs> i think that was sort of like the first artistic expression was the the sculpting and the modeling with my hands and then from there it had to have been music at some point i don't i don't remember specifically when music came in but it was probably to do with like my dad and and like the music that he was listening to it was a lot of motown and mm. and billy joel and you know jackson five and um elton john and, and that sort of stuff so so like a lot of like 80s 80s pop 70s yeah. pop when'd you get your hands on an instrument how'd that come to be for the first time i was pretty young in school and it wasn't like I couldn't, like, get an instrument because they were like, I don't know if we want to invest and, like, I don't know if we want to buy an instrument. So so I, I rented an instrument, and I was taking classes on guitar through my um, my elementary school and my middle school at the time. Mm. So they had, like, an after-school guitar program that I participated in. And then I, I stuck with that, and then I remember for a birthday I got, like, a, a knockoff, like a... a like a Fender knockoff, like a Japanese thing. I can't, I can't even remember what I, like a Yakamini or something. It was not Takamini, it was something different. <laughs> um, so yeah, I got my first guitar a couple, maybe like a year or so after those cool. classes at school. Proved that it wasn't fleeting. Yeah, and then yeah. I got my first real guitar when I was bar mitzvahed and I had a little bit of money and I bought an actual Fender. I still so have this that was guitar. like a priority to you as a child or a young yeah. man. Yeah, by the time I was like 13, I was like, music is the shit. Mm. Like, this is the coolest thing ever. And I was like exploring more and like it was sort of, you know, I, my push. it was a way where I could, I could push boundaries with my parents. And, mm. um, you know, I remember listening to Offspring. Were you already feeling Smash. that at that age? Sorry, were you already feeling the need to push back a little bit at that age? For sure, yeah. And I didn't quite know how to express it or articulate it myself, but it came in the form of music, like wanting to listen to Nevermind or like Offspring Smash and like mm -hmm. Curse and mm -hmm. have distortion and like my dad didn't get it, but that was cool. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love that. Okay, so you're in Colorado and I remember you went to 
sort of a unique education system. <laughs> yeah. Right? And I feel like, I mean, I only know you and Harris from that, but you two seem to have a real sense of yourself more than most people when I met you to where you are today. Like, you know, we're all going through it and doing our work on ourselves, but to have a sense of self, um, a lot of people do not. And I feel, I wonder if the school uh, contributed to that. It's a really interesting question. Um, thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, the school was unique for sure. Um, it was called British Primary School in mm. Denver, Colorado. Our headmaster was a woman named Carolyn Hambridge. Um, who has since um, passed away, unfortunately. But um, unique school, it was very, like, there was choice time. We were given sort of volition at a very young age in terms of, like, what we wanted to learn about and what we wanted to pursue. We had to do certain core things, um, traditional things, mm -hmm. but there was some freedom to sort of explore. And I remember I kind of, like, I testing the walls there, too, and there was this project. They were, like, a, they gave us an open-ended, like, research essay, and I, yeah, it was like really open and like I started, I, I wanted to do it on um, a serial killer. I wanted to do it on. Which um, one? It was a uh, fucking. Gacy? Uh, 60s. No, it wasn't Gacy. It was. Uh, uh, Zodiac? He carved, he carved the swastika on his forehead. I should know his name. It's so obvious. Oh. He had, oh, it was right. Hel Helter Skelter. Mm. Um, I'm God, not so versed. Sounds so them. stupid. No, that's all right. Let's just look this up. Look it up. Quick. Yeah. Yeah. So you did an essay. Reference it, and then be the idiot that does. It. <laughs> Dude, you're fine. Uh, you did an essay on this. That's pretty wild. And pretty well, they cool wouldn't. They wouldn't. To... They they wouldn't let me. The the point of the story <laughs> was that they wouldn't let me do the essay on this serial killer. Let's see. Who is that? Healthy, he was in Charles Manson. Yeah, duh. Oh. California. Cool. I didn't realize he carved in Nazi jail. Symbols. In jail, he carved a swastika, and that was that was the whole, that was the whole thing with the Merry Pranksters. They were sort of like it was a lot of like veiled racism about like uh, black people are like polluting the the you know the population and it, it all and, and and the jews and like it yeah. you know it was it was it was sort of like bad rhetoric when it when it came down to it that's why they sort of like they bought this land on the outskirts and it was kind of homogenous it was a pretty homogenous group the the um the merry pranksters and yeah that's literally what they were called the merry the pranksters the merry pranksters yeah interesting yeah manson family murders helter skelter hmm. Yeah. Yeah, weird shit. But where were we? How do we get? We were talking about how British primary school may or may not have contributed to a sense of self. Right, right. So I was testing boundaries and allowed to sort of explore. Another one, oh, we painted a, a guillotine with like heads rolling on the gymnasium at our school. Oh, and whoa. <laughs> and teachers saw it, and it stayed up for, like, a day. They were like, uh, no, we can't. <laughs> yeah. So that was another boundary that I was able to find. Um, interesting. I guess it was all, I was testing these, like, like violence. I am fascinated by violence in a way. I love video games, and I love violent yeah. video games. Um, well, it's definitely like, human nature, right? 
Yeah, I feel like it's, I was like one tick away from being a sociopath because like mm. I like wet my bed up until like a late age, mm. and I also like burned ants on the patio and like lured them in with like scraps of food. I did like some sociopathic shit, but maybe it was the school because the school mm. was very like you're great the way you are. Like there are no winners or losers. Like you just you you did it. You know, yeah, it probably gave you the space to find yourself a bit more. When maybe someone with the tendencies you just men- mentioned, if they don't have the room, they're sort of forced into, they're for- sort of forced into the path that's present because yeah. it's all they know. But if someone, because that's what occurs to me as you're talking, is like you had the freedom, and it sounds like when you push the boundaries, people weren't like you fucking piece of shit, kid. Like, they were like, eh, no. And that yeah, was kind right. of it. Yeah, it was so very it gentle, kind of, a gentle, gentle <laughs> stirring back to the acceptable, yeah. you know, boundaries yeah. of exploration. And that, and that actually, I'm realizing right now in this moment, like, potentially, right, I don't know everything about that, but it seems like it allows trust that you can explore and experiment safely. Because you, I feel like, are an experimental artist where you're not afraid to, like, try something totally different. I don't want to judge it, but different than most people are trying. And you'll definitely take a different vantage point. Um, As well as you're very, like... Um, aware of the mainstream stuff and enjoy that as well but you definitely have this other side of you that's like more experimental and free and I'd say Harris has that too if you really look at his work with his voiceover even stop animation that he's doing still yeah he's very he's weird as fuck and it's very uniquely him yeah yeah um and I feel like he's come into that in the last like you know two or two or so years or something like that yeah, I haven't awesome. really been on Instagram, but but when I was on Instagram and I was hearing his stuff, I was like, oh, that's like, that's a great character. Like his voice, is, mm-hmm. his tone is amazing. We all know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actual content of it, I felt he, he was leaning into himself more. Yeah. Um, and it was fun to see. And it's all swings at bat, right? Like we're just right. building the muscles there. It's not necessarily about the result of his projects on Instagram. You know, I'm. Yeah, right on. So we're at this point. We're in Denver still, on this journey. Okay. What and when were you like? I'm moving to LA. So tell me about that journey. What was the experience like? Telling your folks. How'd you feel? For because like for me, for example, and feel free if you have any questions for me, throw them my way. But, uh, you know, it was like this thing I was always gonna do. Mm-hmm. And then it's like the month before, I'm like, oh shit, I gotta move to LA. Like, what's that actually gonna be like? What am I fucking doing a little bit? Yeah. But I almost like blind, dumb ignorance got me here. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I so I don't think I knew when I was in Colorado that I was gonna come to LA eventually. I think the path was always like this very traditional collegiate path that my parents had set me on. And then that wound up, and then that was sort of like 
more exploration and then it was like sort of obvious like oh i i need to go to one of two places and that's la or new york remind me where you went to school purdue in indiana Indiana. university close yeah um so i went to indiana i got scholarship on in at indiana and i went there and um where'd you get a scholarship for just an academic scholarship like a partial academic scholarship nice so that was kind of uh, we, we uh, and I was kind of following in my in my parents' footsteps. Their Midwest roots. They're both from Chicago. So, mm. being in Indiana, um, felt very familiar and comfortable. And I was the only person from my high school that went there. So, so that was kind of the thing that was riding, that was bringing me there. It was just the comfort of the Midwest, sort of, and wanting to experience that in a way that had been articulated to me by my parents. So went to Indiana, and then by the end of Indiana, I'd taken a bunch of film classes, and, and I tried to get into an audio engineering school, and they have a really prestigious audio engineering school and a music school. And I knew I, I knew I didn't want to do the music school because it was all very, like, it was very rigid and classical, mm-hmm. and that's just not who I was maybe from going to BPS. I was just wanting to experiment. And uh, what I was wanting to say earlier about pushing boundaries and experimenting, I feel like I can do that in audio. I'm f- mm. I'm fluid in that form. I feel like I'm less so fluid in like writing, and I'm still trying to like figure some stuff out in my writing. Um, sidebar. Yeah, that's all right. But inside um, all these bars, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, college. I'd taken some classes, and then like push came to shove. I was like, what am I gonna do? And I had an uncle in San Francisco who was a director of photography. And he works on a ton of corporate video stuff, a bunch of documentaries. Um, and I had stayed with him in San Francisco every summer of my of college. Mm. And I'd been his PA. So I was just getting set experience. And I was just like... Smart. Yeah, yeah. So, so this said I was helping the gaffer. You know, this maybe I was holding the boom on this. Like, I, you know, uh, changing out lenses and doing like... AC type duties and but on a small scale like not on like a big film mm-hmm. you know thing so but just like learning basic stuff so it was it was good for me and then my spare time I was like had a little Emma Eddie a little uh one of the avid mbox twos was like one of the first like USB Pro Tools interfaces wow. like made a little made a little recording closet um in San Francisco cool. over the summers and like yeah, so I was, just, I was just, like, being a PA and, and then like, doing the accounting shit, just, like, invoicing and, and, like, learning sort of, like, just what the business could be. And it was all very, like, film set. It wasn't a lot of, like... He didn't do a lot of creative stuff. Um, mm. He was a freelancer. He was a gun Good for hire. Good distinction. Good yeah. distinction, because it is a big distinction. Yeah, yeah. And it, not to say that it wasn't creative. It was just, like, the yeah. parameters of what you were doing were, like, just a lot tighter. So, like, if you're doing mm-hmm. a talking head interview, it's like you can't go fucking crazy with a talking head interview. Right. You know, and it was a lot of that. You like, you can't go crazy with a product shot. Like, the product shot, you know, needs to look nice and, you know, functional or edible yeah. or you know whatever it is. So you can't go fucking crazy with it. Should I be swearing? Mm-hmm. Do you care? Oh, absolutely. Be you. Does it matter? Okay. Yeah. Not for me. So, yeah, learning a lot of stuff, a lot of technical stuff, um, but it didn't feel super creative. Even though, like, 
was creative adjacent. It was like yeah. how to light a set. Like what what is three point lighting? Mm. Stuff like that. Like what is a what's a kino flow versus a two par and like just like sets sets how to wrap a cable. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. stuff like that. So you know? important. Yeah, just like ba- just basic stuff that when you go on set and you don't know kind of like reveals you mm-hmm. as 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 the guy who's never experienced yeah. any of this stuff. Um and then a guy came and spoke at Indiana when it was kind of like a job fair type thing and people from the industry, the entertainment industry were speaking to us and this guy came mm. from LA. He was like a set audio guy who had ties ties to a post audio house called Larson Studios in the heart of Hollywood. So spoke to him, kind of hit it off. Um, I think we were both like, I think we were both Jewish. Mm. Um, if I remember correctly, there's some sort of, there's some sort of connection. I don't know if it was familial or like, I, I, I can't remember, but he introduced me to the studio manager. I ended up going out there with my dad, sat down with the studio manager, interviewed me. He was like, you want it? Here's what it is. Unpaid internship. Like, you're going to be getting lunch or sometimes. You can, like, look over people's shoulders and, like, see if it grows because that's kind of how every internship works. It's sort of like you get to be here, and then once you're there, you get to network, and then how well you network will depend on if you get hired or not. Mm. So, Damn, great advice and great... Like he let you in right away. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was that was pretty cool. And they were working on some real shit. They were doing like Deal or No Deal. Mm. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Post sound. Damn. They're doing all the post sound for this. So, so most of the editorial. They were walking the foley. Um, so do uh, do you want to for the civilian? That would just be like anything that wasn't recorded on set. I mean, even stuff that was recorded on set. But especially stuff that wasn't recorded, like in the room, yeah, right? Yeah, so they're shooting a lot of ADR. It's a lot of like mm. IS, ISDN ADR with actors. They were coming in because a lot of the actors were local, but sometimes they weren't. So it was, you know, oh, this actor's in New York. We're gonna ISDN them and track them remotely into Pro Tools um, to wow. get this wild line that wasn't good enough. Um, it wasn't captured well enough on set. So, yeah, a lot of that stuff, a lot of editorial, and then not a lot of final mixes. They did have some indie films coming in, and they would do everything. They would do the final mix there as well. Um, mm. And then and then the night business, because they were open 24-7, the night business was, like, a lot of film restoration and a lot of, like, dubs for foreign versions and stuff. So So it was sort of interesting shop. So I started interning there, and then the economy crashed, and I was like... 2000 what, yeah what year that was 2008 right that's when i yeah, graduated 2008 yeah. yeah 2008 and nine the economy tanked and i remember when it happened we were all like huddled and we listened to george bush like talk about it and and i feel like we were also listening to like sarah palin was also in the news <laughs> oh my god i forgot about her <laughs> yeah sidebar but but like they huddled us all together, all the interns, and they were like, guys, we're not going to be able to hire you for the foreseeable future, so feel free to stay or feel free to leave. And um, I was like, oh, God, I kind of, like, invested a lot of time here, but, like, you know, I should probably look around. And I found another connection 
at a production company on the Warner Brothers lot, which was Silver Picture slash Dark Castle. It's Jewel Silver's two um, shingles that were on the lot back then. Um, one was the big tentpole franchise, Silver Pictures, which did like Lethal Weapon and then mm-hmm. Matrix. Die Hard. Die Hard. Indiana Jones. Um, Die Hard was also with Fox. Um, mm-hmm. Not Indiana Jones. That's Amblin. But then um, Matrix and the most recent one was Sherlock Holmes. That's right. With uh, Downey Jr. With and Downey Jr. And Jude his Law. And Jude Law. And, his, and Downey Jr.'s wife um, was producer with Joel. She used to be Joel's um, president mm. and report to Joel. And then oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's how Joel was producer, got, became producer on the Sherlock franchise was that in order for Susan Downey to leave, I, I, I believe this is how it went down. I, this is probably like many steps removed, but I believe this is how it went down, is that in order for Susan Downey to leave and get away from Joel, um, Joel needed a piece, needed to be a producer on the Sherlock franchise. So they allowed Joel to do that in order to allow Susan to leave. Mm. Um yeah. Yeah. So I was in I started interning there cuz I had a I had a family friend who who knew and I went and I applied and to be an intern there and mm-hmm. they had this rotating pool of interns there at the time. There's it's like 10 deep and it's just a matter of like who can stick it out. Like it's fucking survivor. <laughs> like it's it's kind of crazy. Um it's true. I, I hate that it's like that it's like this. Um and yeah, I was, I you know, honestly, I was lucky enough that I had help from my parents in order to be getting through this period because I was, like, trying to earn money myself. I was also an extra. I was doing, like, central casting and doing background work on stuff. Like, I was in Alvin and the Chipmunks 2 and, like, just, like, weird random, like, Me too, man. Stuff. I was on two shows <laughs> that were canceled. It's so funny. I remember yeah. my dad came up once my first year, and he found one of my pay stubs from being an extra. Nice. And it was 56 bucks for eight hours or whatever. And he was like, what the fuck is this? Uh, yeah. And I'm like, that's the best I could do at this that's, moment. That's what it is. Yeah. 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 Rough. Rough stuff. So trying to scrap it, but, you know, not being able to. And thank God my parents helped me out because I was able to get hired at uh, Silver and Dark Castle by, like, month, like, nine or ten. So that was great. You were there for a few years, right? I was there for a couple years. I was there for, like, three or four years as a post-coordinator underneath um, a post- a uh, post supervisor who had been there forever, um, Richard. You know Richard. Mm-hmm. And so worked under Richard. We worked on a bunch of the Dark Castle movies, finishing them. Um, one of the Silver movies, The Losers, which I was able to sneak some of my own music into, and that was kind of the foray into like, oh shit, like I can, I can make music for films, and like I can, and these licenses are sort of lucrative if you can get them. Every, mm-hmm. you know, if you can have some consistency. And you did person of interest while you were there too, right? Not person of interest. It was uh, unknown. unknown. It was like a taken. It was like a taken alike thing. With Jim Caviezel. Well, it's. I'll, I'll give it a little more credit than that. 
No, it wasn't Jim Caviezel. It was like uh, uh, Liam Neeson and. Oh, I thought you played something in a TV show early on. When we were at the Tahunga house, you brought something over and maybe it didn't stick. But anyway, there was a Jim Caviezel like hour long that was on for a few seasons. And I feel like I thought you had something in there. Maybe. Anyway, uh, unknown with Liam Neeson. Jesus. Yeah, unknown with Liam Neeson and uh, January Jones and then the losers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then apparition. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, so that was cool. That was like, oh shit! Like I can make money with my music. So like, I started to try and get away from from post because mm. I just saw that like a lot of the post supervisors weren't happy. They just were, you know, sort of taskmasters. They weren't doing creative stuff. Again, that distinction of like. I'm like kind of creative t- adjacent and like we would we would get to kind of like contribute creatively when like editorial ran into problems with things when it was like ah this isn't really making sense like does anybody have a better idea for how this like scene can turn or how like we can s- sell this gag or set this thing up or like pay this thing off so but 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 the, by that time you're already like super constrained by what the thing is already. It's like you're, you're trying to like trying to fix it in post, guys. And we all know what that is. You know, mm-hmm. it's a thing for a reason, you know? It's not it's never going to be great. Yeah. When you're doing that, I think. Yeah. I agree. It, it's not going to be what it could have been. That's for sure. Right. With with yeah. proper planning and vision mm-hmm. and all the things. So, just looking around these dudes aren't very happy. They're kind of just like little task rabbits. And I started trying to get away a little bit. And I'd sold some music. And I walked away from... This is kind of a funny story. I walked away from Silver to become a PA on the uh, Gangster Squad film. Zach Ruben Fleischer. Mm. Ruben Fleischer Gangster Squad film. With Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. And huge cast, yeah. yeah. Josh and Brolin. Josh yeah. Brolin, and yeah, huge, yeah. huge monster cast. So, like, I was in that production office for, like, a month, and I was getting lunches for everybody, and, like, <sighs> didn't like it, didn't care. I ended up losing petty cash one day. I've never told anybody this story. <laughs> I, I ended up... <laughs> petty cash is cash purposefully around for quick exchanges of money if a PA has to go like buy a fucking hard drive or go get coffees this is like you know maybe it's becoming less and less because of Venmo and stuff but we used to have and the the record keeping on it is fucking bullshit because everybody does it different yeah but anyway sorry yeah so so I have the petty cash which is just money to spend on lunches and odds and ends that the production office needs me to go out and get. Um, I lose a hundo. <laughs> and I'm honest. And I'm uh, <laughs> and like, I feel awful about it. I think I end up going and just like taking it out. Like it's a big deal to me at the, at the time, like a hundred dollars is a lot of money. Yeah. And so like, I go to my ATM and I take it out and I'm like, Oh fuck. Like, Oh God damn it. But I'm like, I still tell, I don't know why I did this. I don't know why I still told them. I should have just fucking gone to the bank, taken yeah. the hundo out, replaced it. Not said a goddamn thing. <laughs> yeah. My naive ass. 
is yeah. fuck. I have another one of those stories where I like said the exact wrong thing, and it and it and it gate kept me out of a situation. Mm. So I lose the hundo. I tell them I'm like I replaced it. I'm sorry. And like why did I fucking tell them? I'm so stupid. <laughs> a week later, they're like, ah, so sorry, Jesse. Like. We have a producer who has a must hire, and uh, in order to make space for him, we gotta let you go. And I was like, <laughs> I know that's not the reason. And even if it is the reason, it's like, uh, that's also a shitty reason. Yeah. Um, but it happened. So I got let go. The other one was when I was doing central casting work, looking for jobs, <laughs> I had interviewed at the William Morris, um, what was it? William Morris mer merged with Endeavor. With Endeavor, w that's right. Yeah, WME. <laughs> so I had interviewed at Endeavor, and the interview went well. And I got a call this day at Central Casting. We're sh sitting on set. I think it was the Chipmunk set, and they're <laughs> like, "Do you want the job? Mailroom? Can you come in? Can you start on Monday?" And I was like. I had an interview at like CAA or something like that, like <laughs> the next day. And I told them on the phone, I was like, ah, oh, I'm so flattered. Thank you. But I have this interview tomorrow. Like, can I, <laughs> can I defer a day and get back to you? And, the, and they didn't tell me right then on the phone that that was the dumbest thing I could have possibly yeah. said. Yeah. They're like, okay. Quick, <laughs> and then I do the other interview, and I'm like, uh, I should do, in I should do the Endeavor thing. Like, <laughs> I want the Endeavor thing. So I call the guy back who I'd been interacting with, and I'm like, I think I'm gonna accept the job. And he was like, uh, Yeah, we filled that position. Yeah, like, like two no. seconds later. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, it's so good. Thank God, though, because yeah. you'd have probably been so miserable oh, in agency. Just crushed my my soul. Especially those agencies. Like a buddy of mine's like getting his boots on the ground there. And he was successful in another career. And they're dogging him, you know, and I just saw him the other night and he's like I just don't know. And he's like brilliant and hardworking. Like there's no reason he should be being treated this poorly. Yeah. <clears throat> so. I think I think it's sort of like um, I can't remember what the show's called. It's like su su succession, like adjacent, but it's about the financial industry. Mm. Uh, it's on HBO. I'm Not Severance. Not Severance. Um, more grounded. It's like all real world. Mm. Um, whatever. It's about the financial industry. And I think by the end of the first season, you kind of realize that like it takes a very special breed of person to survive the agencies. And oftentimes like they're people who have privilege and means mm. to not feel the financial pressure of, you know, keeping up with that lifestyle because that's kind of how you have to do it. You kind of like Janelle and I've been talking about this phrase, like, you know, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. That's right. You know? So part of that in the agent world is when you're a coor once you've graduated out of the mailroom, you have a desk, maybe you've been an assistant for a while, you become a coordinator for like a department. Once you've become that coordinator, like it's kind of on your plate to advance into a junior or to an agent position. And you kind of just have to start like 
looking for clients and taking them in, and it's called hip-pocketing. Excuse me. So these coordinators are hip-pocketing people and taking that initiative. They're not asking for permission. They're not asking the heads of the agency, hey, can I take on this client and like tell people that I'm representing them? They just sort of start doing it, and based off of how that goes, it, it kind of shifts how people view them in the company, and mm-hmm. then they are allowed to become agents once they're once. And, and it's also like once I'm able to generate a sale for one of these clients that I've taken on, then I'm sort of an agent. Yeah. Right? But they have to take the initiative and sort of do it. There's no like path. Like I'm sure they could have mentors that help them and urge them along, but ultimately they need to take that initiative and just start. That doing is it. very specific. Yeah, and it is funny. I was like <clears throat> talking to my buddy, who is a studio head, and he's been in the game a long time, and he's just like, man, <laughs> these agents, these managers, you know, he's like, there's very few that I want to interact with, <laughs> and I'm like, wow, okay, it's not just me, right? It's the guys at the other end of the spectrum too, mm-hmm. who are like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting world, that's for sure. I'm I got very lucky my commercial agent Jennifer York is fucking amazing and she believes in me. She bats for me and she also has is wise, you know, like let's hold off on this battle cuz it might affect us here. Mm-hmm. And just little things so it's super important, but now, as you described that, I'm like, yeah, that is, there's a very specific person who survives that. Yeah. And that's not like you're weak. It's just like, who wants to deal with that shit? Yeah. And for yeah. what? For what? It's almost like, it feels like sales in any industry. I remember <laughs> I took a job at like 24-hour fitness in Glendale early days. Mm-hmm. Because what I, you know, what I love about us is like we've both been helped at times by our parents when they can or when they're able, but we've also sacrificed a lot and worked many fucking weird, odd jobs, yeah. and definitely don't take our parents' help easily, or you know. So it's like, it's not black and white. It's not like you're either a super rich kid who was able to get parents' help or destitute and you never got help. There's, like, smatterings in between. But one of my shit jobs was um, 24 hours in Glendale, and this is when they just started doing, like, the super sports, so, like, the nice 24 hours. And that's what Glendale was at that's, the time. That's an oxymoron. Nice 24 hours? I know. I know. I know. Right. Yeah, I know. And so... I go, and it's sales. It's not front desk. And really, like, within minutes of being there, I realize, like, I'm going to have to procure every lead. Like, there's two sales guys training me, but they're basically, like, kids who are just a few years older than me being, like, I'm not giving you shit. Like, you know, know, sit here and make calls, essentially. And I was like, oh. Yikes. And so my yeah. second day, I said, I'm going to lunch. That's one of my favorite stories. I was like, I'm going to lunch. The guy was like, it's 10 a.m. I was <laughs> like, yeah. And I just never went back. <laughs> nice. Fuck them, dude. I did, so, that. I did that once, too. Yeah? Yeah. 
Good for you. At a studio. I went to a studio (laughs) to be an intern. And they had me driving Pro Tools. And this artist came in. And he didn't have the tracks. And he was trying to download. And then he got the wrong tracks. He was trying to have me, like, take something out. And then, like, he was just, it was just, like, hey, the session was just, like, hey, all these people coming in. And I was just, Mm. like... Uh, like, I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> and I just left. Good for you. Yeah, because I was just, just telling, I was, I was just like, if this is, this is day one and it's, and it's chaos. Because I had been at Larson and I had been at other real places by that point. Mm-hmm. And be like, I know what, a, like, if you're a real studio, like, there's a studio manager and like there's mm-hmm. somebody like there are rules and like there are boundaries but like it seemed like at this place none had been set mm-hmm. you're just like different world i think it i think it was a genre thing that i had mm-hmm. not adjusted to as like a white guy mm-hmm. of like this was a hip this was like a hip-hop thing mm-hmm. and and it and it threw me and like as i was trying to engineer i was just like i don't feel like i don't feel comfortable yeah no, and uh, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it can be chaotic, especially when it's your first day, right? And you probably didn't get any kind of warning. No, no like, warning. Hey, like this artist, you know, like that's what I like to do. Like, there's no judgment, but this is the way this artist is. Right. Yeah. And then Give we me a all heads know. Up. Yeah. So it's just common sense stuff, but you know, it's a strange industry in that people are so scared to burn a bridge. That they'll like not say anything to anyone yeah. of substance ever. Yeah. So how did you end up at Annapurna? Which it's so weird. Like when I think about Annapurna, it's like it was a powerhouse for like three years, and then it kind of just like chilled. Yeah. And then I see it making moves again in the last year or two, and I'm just like, oh, I wonder, because I know Megan Ellison. I don't know her, but I know she inherited that from her father, who owns Oracle. It was like $250 million. So I'm sure she had the ability to take some time off. But it was just so interesting. And you worked there for, what, nine months or so? I worked there for about a year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a little under a year. Um, So I had met a guy, Kale Erickson, who was another assistant at um, Silver Dark Castle who had moved mm-hmm. on to Annapurna, and I had left, and I had been freelancing and doing other things. And this is right after I had been fired from Gangster Squad, and I was looking for other stuff. I, I had become a PA on uh, Star Trek Two for a while, so I was driving to the Sony lot, and I was just sort of like, I was like a security PA, and I was just mm. like stalking the stages, just like making sure anybody that was, that got in or out, like, had their security badges. Oh, man, that job sucked. I can't even imagine. Oh, so there's just so much time on your feet, and, like, you were you were hassling. Like, it wasn't like you were part of the crew because you had to hassle everybody. So everybody viewed you as, like, a uh, nemesis. And so it made it really hard to, like, make friends and, like, get, yeah. like, I, it was hard to get close to anybody because everybody was like, <laughs> oh, this fucking guy's going to ask me for my badge again. <laughs> so that, that kind of sucked. And it also it's felt like, like a demotion coming from coordinator at Silver. So I was looking for other stuff, and I was talking to Kale, and they had a coordinator who had just had a kid and was looking and, and, and was leaving at Annapurna. Mm-hmm. 
so I interviewed and I got along with the guy um, who was the post supervisor there, who's overseeing all the Annapurna films that were dropping at the time. So he had just like, he had just finished the master. We f- together finished zero dark 30 and wow. we were overseeing her at the time. So her spike Jones and his or- editorial team, it was these like three mansions up um, off, off Robertson in the, in the Hills. And Megan had, bought these three places one was the hq for the production company one was the editorial space for her specifically her the movie her with uh Mm. with uh joaquin and then the last one was her personal home where she would stay Mm. and so i would drive up there every day and the the middle one also had a screening room in it so we were screening a lot of films screening a lot of cuts for Megan and different people. And they were also like looking for films to acquire at the time. Cause they, it was not just Annapurna. It was, it was another um, acquisition arm of the company that would acquire films. And then they would sort of like, it's kind of weird. Like Megan did a lot of awesome things for film. She produced a lot of very great films for film but like they weren't necessarily like financial you know blockbusters like mm-hmm. the master didn't make money you know zero mm-hmm. dark I, I i believe it it broke even i don't think it made a ton of money and that's why it dialed back you you spoke about like yeah I was you saw it everywhere yeah. yeah you saw it everywhere and amazing films too but yeah, it makes sense when you look at the market yeah yes but so so she had to dial back but actually since then like the guy who was my boss went on to head um the annapurta video game division and the video game division has actually done really well um Mm. in the last couple years um they've released some some really cool games some as an indie developer um but they've definitely they've definitely gotten a few titles on the map that have become sort of like cult classics i think outer worlds was one of them and that new game with like uh where you play the cat um (laughs) have you heard of that Mm -mm. i think it's on ps5 i think it's on the next gen consoles yeah um but you play a cat and everybody was raving about it It just came out a couple like months ago i think i'll have to check it out i'm in the god of war too heavy right now yeah that's the annapurna update and then what what had happened before when they were losing money and it wasn't going well a lot of the executives were Megan's friends at the time when I was there. Mm. And so that guard that there was a changing of the guard that happened like after I left for a couple years and then by the like now I don't think there's anybody who's I don't think there's any executive who was there when I was there. Oh um, wow. That is a big shift. Yeah, so it was a big shift. Um so I and I don't really know like what the I only see what they release as of late. So I know they're still releasing films, but I think they're they're acquiring more than they're actually producing themselves. Mm. So interesting. Yeah. Right on. Well, let's get into some specific art projects. Okay. Do you want to talk about the LMNLP and your time there and like what it is, you know, as little or as much as you'd like? Sure. Sure. Yeah, we can talk about the LMNOP. Uh, the LMNOP is a music project, music project mm-hmm. that I am 
co-writer and producer of, along with Rob Shore and Kyle Brady. And um, we did a bunch of stuff. Rob and I lived together for a while. Kyle lived with us during the pandemic. And we worked on a bunch of different um, projects together, including the score for um, The Stalking Fields, which you produced. Mm-hmm. Extremely familiar with. And um, we did some original music for Disney. We had a bunch of placements. Um, we did some Taco Bell stuff. We did a spot for L'Oreal. It was a lot of like web ad stuff. Um, and then we also um, placed a song in The Flight Attendant on HBO um, with an artist named uh, Mila Roy who actually is playing the Wiltern um, coming up in April. Um, headlining? I don't know if he's headlining or not. It's a good question. Wow. I, I, would guess, I would guess no, because he's relatively yeah. unknown, but, yeah. but sometimes they have smaller acts at the yeah, Wiltern. Yeah, it's a huge venue. So. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, it, we, kind of, we, we kind of had a moment where we were, you know... After the pandemic, we are like, what should we do? We had done the Disney songs, like, right before the pandemic, and, like, we kind of lost a lot of momentum, as I'm sure a lot of people can relate to in the pandemic. Like, a lot of stuff closed down, mm-hmm. and, and you know, a lot of sessions became remote. A lot of, just a lot of things went remote, and, like, our momentum kind of felt like it chilled. As a, I don't know if anybody else relates to it, but it just it just felt like a cooling off, and we were sort of like searching about what we wanted to do, and had a lot of time to sort of like in introspect and talk to each other about it. And I think when we came out of the pandemic, Kyle, Rob, and I had had a couple discussions where it was clear that each of us had a different um, idea of where they saw the group going and what they wanted to do. And I think where it is now is that we would all do something again, but I think it would have to be a very specific project because we work really well together, um, but not in an open-ended capacity where it's for us. We worked really well together on the score. We worked really well together mm-hmm. like for the Disney stuff or when there's ad and when, when like there's a very clear directive. But um, going back to voice a little bit and finding that, I think you know, I, I, we have our own voices, but they were all sort of in discord. Mm. And so we were realizing that and... Right now, we were just sort of taking time off, and we were working on... Kyle's working on a bunch of his own stuff. I just I just did the score for a documentary that my uncle was producing. Um, cool. Yeah, so... And that was very, like... It was very... Normally, like, the score we did for you is very kind of, like, synth-wavy, like, industrial. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the score we did for you was kind of synth wavy and industrial and heavy and more Trent Reznor-esque yeah yeah and and so um this score was more was like the total opposite it was it was traditionally orchestral you know elements it was like violin and piano and anything you learned on stocking fields help you for this one oh yeah definitely just like Mm. from an organizational standpoint of like how to how to organize these cues and how to approach the project it definitely helped um and it was also like something i was doing like i i kind of bit off a lot where like i agreed to do this film but i was also doing the first my first round of dick wolf shows so mm-hmm. during the week i'm five days a week editing two of these shows 
and then on the weekends I'm composing the score and it was just it was just a lot and like I'm I got through the first round like I've done my first round and now I'm addressing some notes and tweaks right now on the score so it's not like quite done but it's mm. it's pretty close Good. um yeah so it's been a lot um I bet. doing that yeah cuz you can get ear fatigue people don't know that right just by listening all day you're like yeah. zapped or just flat out drained from a work day to then go and be creative. Yeah, both. It's really hard. Um, yeah, the ear fatigue is a very real thing, and you need to be wary of it. You need to take frequent breaks because, yeah, you get to the end of the day, and then you're listening to stuff, and and you think you're doing one thing, but then you hear it with fresh ears the next day, and you're like, oh, shit. Mm. And it creates a lot of double work if you're mm. not careful. So. Oh, that's good. That's real, good. That's a great lesson. Thing. Yeah. Um, okay, so we've talked about the stocking fields, we've talked about the LMNOP, let's talk about AI. Cool, and, yeah. And, yeah, so, remind me, it's slipping my mind, what's the name of the program you were creating in, Blender? Yeah, over the pandemic, I was, I was scraping the surface of Blender, Blender's this... Is it still as big and prolific and... Wow. Oh yeah, and it's just growing. It's just getting better. It's and it's very supported. It's this open source three D program that you can do all sorts of stuff in. So you can model, you can animate, you can sketch, you can do like you can texture, you can rig, you can do all sorts of stuff. And it's really deep. It's really complicated. It's built on Python, and like there, it's bottomless almost. So I started getting really into it. I was like, this feels like felt very freeing to sort of like be able to create cool shit from nothing again it was kind of like getting back into sculpey or something but like a mm. more tech version of that um so that was kind of yeah, my first sense. yeah that was sort of my first introduction into 3d art and then from there you know a couple months later midjourney came out and dolly i haven't really used dolly or dolly 2 but i use midjourney a lot and i love it and it's really mm. fucking cool and and so, I don't know. A lot of controversy surrounding AI. Sure, right now. you know sure. there are artists. There are artists that are suing Midjourney right now because they basically are saying like, "You used our art to teach this machine how to copy our art, and now you've completely devalued our art." And it's a totally mm. valid argument. Um, but it's also like producing unique things, and like people could also do that anyway just like imitate styles and rip off style. I don't know. It's an interesting, super interesting discussion. Um, I agree. I'm not sure where I land on it either. Yeah. I do find it beautiful and fascinating. Yeah. And my thought has always been, for example, like when the iPhone cameras start getting better, people, photographers, especially were like, what the fuck? They're not really photographers. And I'm like, yeah. Get better. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Right? Or die to the machine. But you can also choose the other route, which is, oh, I guess I get to get better. Yeah. So I like that because it means everybody's progressing rather than trying to resist. And I don't know if that's the answer with AI or anything, but that's generally the mindset I try and keep because it keeps me more open than closed off. Yeah. No, that's a good that's a good way to look at it, for sure. Um, 
definitely stay open. Mm-hmm. I think looking at it not as a threat, but as like a tool to just further whatever your vision is. Um, I look at it as that. Using Midjourney, we were doing something kind of cool, and it, and I have a call about it on Thursday, um, so I'll let you know how that goes. But it's basically an indie film. So you know Steve's buddy Jacob, who's my buddy Jake Eaton. He was the Sounds post. Familiar. He was the post supervisor on the most recent Hellraiser film. Oh, nice. Yeah, and he's been you know he's done a bunch of Warner Brothers films. Like he's a he's the real deal. Um, Jake met a dude in Las Vegas. He just moved to Las Vegas, and he spends a lot of time there. He met a, a guy in Las Vegas who was a post-supervisor working on a film. It was kind of like this Baz Luhrmann-style thing with, like, a lot of, like, real live-action elements in the foreground and then, like, green screen, like, backgrounds mm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they were in the finishing phase of the film. They are in the finishing phase of the film, and they're trying to get all these mats and if you don't know what a mat is or a set extension, it's like a very intricately like hand-drawn or hand-generated um, background that you can put, that you can slot in, compo- composite in to your green screen elements to extend the background. So like when you're watching Last of Us, you know, and Ellie's crossing the wood plank, like the background is a set extension. Like mm. it's, it's not real. So hyper-detailed things and then that gets tracked to camera so that the perspective moves with camera and it's kind of a complicated process and the and the actual artists the the matte painters they're expensive and they're expensive for a reason um because they're really good and they give you this super high res you know thing that you can that's really easy to work with so they're trying to finish they're an indie film they don't have the money to pay a matte painter they have 30 shots that they need to do and you know it would they don't have the money to do it so i was talking jake introduced me to the post supervisor because he knows i'm into ai and he was like talk to jesse like maybe you guys can figure out a way to get mid-journey to generate the mats you need to finish the the composites Mm -hmm. and it's all like kind of medieval stuff like stone hallways and stuff like that so i'm talking you should do it in blocks instead of one ai image it's like a hundred you know, well, and maybe the, you puzzle them together. Yeah, the the problem we're running into is that you can get one good one, but then, like, if you're trying to match that to another angle, it gets really mm-hmm. difficult to tell the thing, to tell to talk to Midjourney and give it the prompt, like, use this background but at a 45-degree angle. Mm-hmm. So you got to experiment with it a little bit and have it, because it needs, you need to lock continuity stuff. You know, you can't have mm-hmm. shit in the background changing from one angle to the next. So... That's the hurdle that I'm looking at right now. And I don't know if somebody else has solved this already. I, I found a thing. I found a thing through TikTok. It's called uh, runwayml.com. And it's another sort of AI service, sort of like Midjourney. You can subscribe. It's a subscription-based service. Mm-hmm. And you can do all sorts of stuff with it. It has a bunch of different modules and tools. But one of the modules is kind of like an, like an image expander. So you can feed it a reference image, and then you can have Whoa. it exp- expand expand the image out. So like I could feed it this image of a beach, and then I could say like, okay, I want the left. I want you to expand the image, and I want there to be a boat in the ocean next to some a rocky outcropping, and wow. it will generate that and extend the image you fed it. So you can create these sort of like nice high res, and you can out if you subscribe, you can output like 4K shit. Holy um, 
So that's an interesting thing, but I don't know if you can then take that super high-res image and you can like do sort of like a perspective shift on it to have it match other mm. angles or how to do that track, like maybe Blender could do that tracking, yeah. um, that tracking work, because you can do motion graphics in Blender as well. I don't know, um, but stuff I'm exploring. Damn. So That's it, really cool. I think it'd be really cool to do that. I'm sure that we're going to see AI, you know, we're going to see AI video generators and animators really soon we're gonna see good ones really soon and i think all the studios and networks and production companies if i don't think they're looking at this shit yet because it's just very it's like, like 3d in a sense it, it we, is well, just structurally we don't know what it's gonna be and people were like, 3 ds going to... Do you remember? Or I was like, oh, this... yeah. And the and theater's overspent, and it was a huge disaster. But yeah. it still exists, and now it's better than ever. Like, Avatar in 3D was unreal. So I wonder if yeah. this might follow a similar, similar trajectory in that it's going to be something, but it might take more time than we're giving it. Yeah. I just think that... I think we're exponentially moving forward right now. And I think what we're going to see is people looking at the cost benefit analysis. Do I hire an artist or do I, do I have a $10 subscription to mid journey? And, and in a lot of cases, that choice is really easy to mm -hmm. make. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, when it comes to video production and stuff like that, it's going to be how these tools develop to be, super manipulatable because if you're presenting something from a brand perspective, you want to be hyper-specific. So the tool with the most, you know, with the most malleability, what's the word I'm looking for? With the most versatility. Versatility, yeah. Yeah, with the most versatility is going to rise to the top. I think Midjourney mm -hmm. is doing that right now um, just because the prompts can be so specific and the things you get, like you can now feed reference images images in to try and get a sense of consistency um, mm. when you're when you're prompt engineering. But I don't know, it's really fucking cool. Like I started, Kyle and I started this side hustle. I don't know where it'll go. Um, you can do print on demand, so through Etsy. So you can open an Etsy store and you connect you can connect a print on demand um, supplier. So we found Printify. There's also another one called Printful. There's also another one called Redbubble. There are a bunch of them. So mm. you connect the two, you, you design. So here's the workflow. Hey, mid-journey, give me a cool graphic design. Um, high contrast, monochrome, simple, um, clean white background. Boom, gives me the thing. It'll be a little more specific. Like some real life examples is like, give me a monkey in a suit firing a gun. Or like, mm -hmm. give, me a, give me a sloth in a business mm -hmm. suit, like fixing his tie. Mm -hmm. So like that's the prompt in the style of graphic design art that I know I can then manipulate in order to get onto a t-shirt. So like you need to remove the background and make things transparent. So I then take those images that I get out of Midjourney, I feed them into GIMP. GIMP is a free Photoshop open source program, kind of like Blender, but hmm. very close to Photoshop, really easy to use. And there's a million videos, tutorials on YouTube, how to use this thing use GIMP to make the background transparent. And then I go, I take that image into Printify, slap it on a t-shirt, 
um, connect it to my Etsy store. And then when somebody finds it on the internet, so I, I'm, I'm testing this out because I just started doing this as a side yeah. hustle. So I'm running an ad on Etsy so that people are being funneled into my store. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm running an ad for a month, like a $5 ad, like sure. $5 sure. a day for a month, yeah. like whatever. Like, let's see, let's see what happens mm -hmm. here. That's the only way you can do it. <sighs> yep. So I'm halfway into that month. It's taken me two seconds to generate all the art. I have like 20 items up for sale on the store. Love it. But it was all just like AI generating stuff, manipulating it a little bit and fitting it into this pre-existing sort of pipeline. Whereas if I'm generating this art myself, I'm taking days to make each of these images. This is like, you know, two weeks, a month worth of work, the work to create 20 unique pieces of art and then get them designed and hooked up mm. to the print-on-demand service. So AI just kind of, like, cut that into a, a fraction of the time. Wild. Yeah. I love that. Well, thanks for sharing on that, brother. Yeah, of course. It's exciting. Yeah, it is. That's cool. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens just in general with that. Yeah. Well, I kind of foresee a future... Sorry to go off. Just, just oh, one please. final note, which I think is a really cool idea, but also terrifying, is that, you know, if the video production tool gets easy enough to use and it's going to be a fraction of whatever the creation cost is otherwise to a major studio when they're thinking at their tent poles or whatever, thinking about what IP to mine to create the next whatever, Batman. I think that once it gets good enough, they're just gonna license the AI in the same way that they like did a, a an overall deal with directors in the past. Like Matt Reeves has an overall in the same mm -hmm. way that like Clint Eastwood did or like Todd Phillips did around the time when I was on the lot. And like these directors that are just like, we know you guys can make a film, we trust you. Like you can basically do, you have a lot of clout and sway. Mm. I think the second they can kind of like, man manipulate and collaborate with the AI to a degree that they're satisfied with, they're going to start having like these overall deals with the AI instead of a director. Or What's a interesting or about a that though is like, and I agree, I don't, it's hard, you know, my, like the other side of the fence for me on this is that humans are so, I mean, there's not a more intricate machine on earth ever built than us and we always can catch falseness and art is about truth and so and now what you're saying is the executive level is gonna go create so i don't really see those movies doing well in the sense of even like story yeah you know, so uh, I will, I am, I'm not, and I'm not, I think you're right. I think they will try this, but it'll be a, a hot, wet disaster. Yeah. In I, a sense, artists have to use this. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, that it doesn't know how to make you feel yet. It doesn't know mm -hmm. that. But it, but in a couple years, it will be smarter than the average human. If not, um, if not immensely smarter. So, I just think well, it's going it'll, to... It, it can access information faster. That's right. the actual, like, definition of it. Right. It's not smart. It is fast. And it has all of the knowledge ever that we have. So without us, it has nothing, in a sense. Right. So it's, it is a kind of fascinating, like, 
Yeah. Will it be able to? Will it be able to quantify the feeling in art that we get? The genuine, you know, feels mm-hmm. of you know whatever that piece of art is trying to convey. Aside from laughter, how bad it is. Yeah, I mean, it can't right now. You know, yeah. you use ChatGPT, it's like, ChatGPT, there's no feeling, there's no heart in yeah. anything. It's just yeah. sort of like, I know how to describe this thing accurately. Yeah. I know how to do this, write this code, or, or, you know, I know how to do what you're asking me to do, but there's no, like, there's there's no heart in it. There's no sort yeah. of, like, feeling, and it feels a little cold. Um, Janelle and I were talking a lot about this, but I, I think that, like, it's probably gonna like for us to say that it's probably not gonna get to the place i think it will but i think there will be a long period of time where you know it's you're not an artist anymore you're a prompt engineer interacting with mm-hmm. the with the ai to get the best result in the quickest you know period of time yeah I'm, I'll, I'll be curious because i also know globally our workforce is going to decrease massively in the next 20 years so what that means is people aren't going to be working on this shit yeah because it's meaningless to our survival. Right. So it better happen now because historically we're about to go in this massive industrial technological decline, actually. Right. Like we're not going to keep advancing at the speed we did in the 2000s because of the internet. We're about to hit a massive slowdown over the next 20 years. So I'll be curious if we get there before that because there's just not going to be, like if you look at the job market right now, the young people... They're not going into this field necessarily. And there's a massive, like, there's not going to be pilots. Do you know that almost 50,000 pilots are going to be retiring in the next five years? Wow. Like, just little things like that, like little hands-on. So uh, I'm curious, you know, I'm curious. I'm hopeful, but it is cold because there's no human component behind it. Yeah. Would you trust a a self-driving plane to get you from point A to point B? Not yet. No. Not yet. Those te- those self driving Teslas are. I'm not like, oh, they're so bad or even morally opposed, but they got to work the kinks out. I don't even update my phone right away. Like one of them just got in a high speed chase, and the the uh, driver was asleep. Yeah, I saw that one. <laughs> Did you see the guy who was uh, trying to kill his family, and he drove off the, like PCH some like pretty pretty treacherous stretch he like he jerked the wheel they had all the onboard data they like knew knew what he had done but he was trying to claim he was like the autopilot (laughs) he totally tried to fucking you know annihilate annihilate himself and his family fucking bad way to do that yeah right like like you're gonna kill other people go kill yourself and they all lived it it, like it ended up being a testament to like the 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 chassis of the tesla (laughs) Yeah, I think the Tesla is an amazing vehicle, and it probably has the best of the auto features. So I'm sure it's only going to get better. But as I just said, that's the the globalization part is what worries me. Mm-hmm. And not worries, I'm just, like, curious. Because people keep thinking we're going to keep going at this clip of technological advancing. Yeah, why, why do you think we're going to decline technologically? Because I've just been doing the research on it. And, you know, I listen to this global strategist. Um, his name's Peter Zafran. He has 30 years of experience. I mean, look him up for yourself. But, you know, he was saying things that I already have been feeling. You know, uh, if you take away the U.S. propaganda machine, I never really saw China as an adversary. 
even though the U.S. and Russia, it's like you just stop and think. They're all the way across the world. They have the most barren land on earth. They have the biggest population. And I read this book, his book, and I watched a few interviews. And look, he says it. He's like, I may not be right, of course. He's like, but I am usually am, and I've been hired by the DOD now because of how accurate I've been. He said within the next tw- 10 years, China and Russia won't exist. They're collapsing on themselves. I believe that. And um, so... I've been, hearing, I've been hearing stuff about that, too. Like, in that China... And think about, like, the reality of this. Like, China lied about their population by over 100 million. Yeah. They have, again, the most... And he's like, it's not a political thing. It's not that the Chinese are bad, U.S. good. He's like, it's simple geography and history. He's like, they literally are on the worst land soil on Earth. And Russia is like in a very similar boat, but it has different reasons. And so I'm just looking at the population of the world. He says half a billion Chinese are going to starve in the next 10 years. And there's nothing we can do about it. This is what people were speculating was why Putin had to have started the war at this point in time because in 10 years, he will not, they will not have the bodies to fight the war. Because That's the right. young, they will not have the young people anymore. They already don't. They, they already, already don't, barely, yeah. and we're seeing yeah. it. Yeah, we're seeing. Yeah. But but this is kind of like the last moment where he could have yeah. pulled pulled this shit and that's had right. the, and had the bodies because traditionally that's all that Russia, Russia does, has is done. Throw bodies at war. Is throw yeah. bodies at it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing it a disservice. Like the guy's so educated. He's so rational. I mean, he's kind of cheeky, so it's fun to listen to him. Um, because you, you'll see really quickly his breadth of knowledge. And it's just fascinating to me because he's the one who's like, life is about to get very frontiers again. He's like, the world as we know it right now is done. It's yeah. a, you can tell. It's, we're, so he's like, we'll be in good shape. The U.S., Mexico, Canada, Australia, Japan. He's like, but the rest of the world, Europe, is going to be in real shit. And the only and he said the only way we help China is if they do such a knee on their knees begging for mercy surrender. That's the only way the US will step in. Otherwise the CCP is going to take their ship down with them. And so it's just real and India is going to do really well, he says because and again, it's all geography is going off of and history. You know, and um, this is just sort of the cycle of history. So um, it's kind of interesting what he was saying. Like, we're still going to have technology, but our growth rate right now is, like, peaking, or it already peaked, because we literally don't have mechanics, carpenters, like, these things that build society where we don't have them anymore. Yeah. So there's going to be this period, I'm guessing, of absolute shock to the system where we're like, how do we have 10,000 lawyers but 500 carpenters? Right. You know, there's just going to be this shift. And so, yeah, I don't know. And again, well, what do I about, know? No, that's a really interesting example. And to bring it back to AI a little bit, just in yeah. relation to technology yeah. in general, like lawyers should be scared yeah. right now because chat yeah. GPT and three and four can write contracts. For people, 
Wow, and they can awesome. abide by, you know, we're in California, they can abide by California law. You're in Denver, abide by Denver law or Colorado mm, law. I um, love that. So that's happening. But what it will also do, so I got this fucking POD side hustle going on with the AI. Yeah. What it's going to do is make handmade goods and made, make craft goods more valuable. That's what people mm-hmm. are theor- theorizing anyway. That's is that, right. Is that we're gonna get That's really right. we're gonna get really used to sussing out what you're talking about is a sort of like falseness mm-hmm. that we can that we can see in some of this art and and like I don't know if you've tried to have Chat GPT like write any sort of script, but Mm-mm. it's awful. It's it does it's like it's like every every like one liner that you think should be in like a bad '80s or '90s movie just like all smashed into one scene it's really it's like bizarre and it's also like feels super generic and heartless and uh, anyway but craft goods handmade goods there's still art of this day right like go pay a cobbler in italy for shoes right see how much that runs you right you know and like i agree so i i'm not worried like it is what it is i'm excited it'll be fun fucking yolo yeah but uh switching subjects as we kind of wind down here um unless you have any more you want to cool i'm good switch um i could talk about this all day so i gotta kind of mind myself (laughs) and we could have you back for it too so what what who inspires you oh that's a good that could be a mainstream artist obviously like a more known artist or who in your life or you know what what motivates you what inspires you who inspires you yeah i mean uh like jesse 10 years ago would say definitely like trent reznor and atticus ross and great um, reference yeah yeah some of these some of these guys who kind of pioneered the more aggressive synth industrial score stuff Mm. um stemming from nine inch nails and all that um now i don't know i i feel like I feel like my friends infi- inspire me more than anything else, and the people around Same. me, like, Same. like Janelle and you guys, and and you know, I, I feel like I'm always more inspired when I consume art with people, and then like that sort of is like a, always a cream rises thing, where like you can tell how not that it's always this way or that this is always the relationship, but like how good the thing is is in is is correlated with how long you think about it afterwards or talk about it with your friends mm. afterwards. So mm. how long it sort of like rattles around and 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 like resonates with you I think is like correlated with its actual value. Now that's totally that's just me and obviously like that's a very personal way to evaluate that, yeah, to evaluate art, but that's sort of how I feel like Janelle and I watch a lot of TV now together and we sort of analyze everything and, and you know, because she's an, you know, an immigrant who came here when she was 12, she didn't, she doesn't have the same perspective as I do. And I'm sort of learning that as I rewatch things with her and see things through her eyes. Like we just rewatched like Pulp Fiction and mm. she, re- and I was like juiced to rewatch it. I was like, this is going to be so much fun. Like, I love this movie. Like I quote this movie, like it's going to be so good. We watch this movie and she's kind of like, eh. I'm like, oh, yeah, oh man, yeah. and she's kind of right. 
in a way where like it, it's great. Like I can see how when it came out in '96 or '99 or whenever, like everybody, it was like very mm-hmm. like pushing boundary pushing yeah. and, and cool and like fresh and snappy and all the tarantino things but now looking back on it it's a little like does she appreciate any classic cinema um she does like we we can watch we i'm trying to think of an example of something like that we've watched that she really enjoys like we've watched stuff like the graduate and like even further Mm -hmm. like like we watched the godfather she loved like we watched a bunch of scorsese films she loved a bunch of scorsese stuff yeah um I know, because I, I find myself having aversion to the past as well. Yeah. You know, but it is important to study, and a lot of times i found the answers to my current quandaries are in old art. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's valuable to know. You know, I, I we, we joke, I know you and I joke, because you have this Cormac McCarthy fucking <laughs> quote that you bring up all the time that I think is absolutely ridiculous, which is yeah. like... He, that, that's okay. You, you, you know the, Do you know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, that he doesn't read um, other nonfiction to the yeah. best of his ability. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I feel like... So he, he doesn't accidentally take it. With, right. And maybe his opinions changed. I read this 13 years ago and never dropped it for some reason. Right. But, and it stuck yeah, with yeah. me, too. Yeah. Like, just yeah, yeah. you... Because just you, you never hear that. You right. never hear that, yeah. Right. And, and I feel like the discussion in Hollywood and when I was at Silver and like in development rooms, like, it was always just... Everything was a reference. You know, mm. and that's how Joel's mind worked. It was like this dude's mind is like archival when yeah. it comes to Hollywood film, and he can be like, "Oh no, the fucking, you know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was like this back in the day. It was 1964, yeah. and he did this yeah. when he walked to the room, and it's like make it like that, and it's like, oh shit, like yeah, so yeah. specific, and like yeah. I I really understood the value of that, like in an editorial sense, but also in just like a writing sense, just like yeah. an awareness of what has been done. So that you're not redoing mm-hmm. something. So yeah. that you're or or that you're aware that you're doing the same thing, but now you have to put a little you've got to do same but different. You know, you can mm-hmm. do the same thing, but but do same but different. So that I'm interested in it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I don't ascribe to that at all. I just um I won't say at all, but I found recently, like, and I've Kyle and I have been kicking around about this the last two months, that I'm just like so done with watching tv most nights Mm -hmm. like i'm just like i'm watching people do the thing i want to do while i'm not doing it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so and that's the truth yeah and that's the fucking truth so i'm not never watching tv it's just been a lot or film it's just been very pointed yeah it's not mm, a safety blanket anymore it's art or it's intentional where I'm like, you know, I'm going to sit down and watch Severance, like a real show that's right. saying something, and it's aspirational. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at on that subject. Yeah, that's really interesting. Because, like, you know the lie. Yeah, I've told you the lie where it's like, why are you watching that, Jesse? And I'm like, it's research. Mm-hmm. It's like, is it? Is it? Is I do it? use <laughs> it as research. Kyle and I will stop. We'll rewatch scenes. But... Yeah. To say it's primarily, no. No. It's to tune off, turn on, you know. Yeah. That's that's, okay. It's okay. That's what Jordan Peele talks about, about um, fucking uh, Get Out, is he was like, you know, I wanted to do this thing, and I just took that time that I spend watching TV, 
doing the thing that you just described, like observing the thing that I want to be doing passively. Yeah. Um, I took that time and I just started writing. And I feel like that takes a certain level of commitment and drive and like, it's kind of like you have to train up into that a little bit because you hear these stories and like <laughs> stories are always these like uphill both ways stories that these, yeah. people, that these people tell you and you listen to all these panels and you listen to all these and like bosses I've had and the boss that Janelle has right now, you know, mm. it's, it's her story is like I came up in the agency and I had to be in at eight and I stayed till eight and then I went home and I wrote for four hours and I slept for three and, and, and it's like, really? Yeah. Yeah, I know. At our school, my acting school, the Franco the, thing, yeah, the Franco, like literally, they we were we joke, we'd be like, I guess he never sleeps. Yeah, I guess he just never sleeps, and of course yeah. that's not true. Like Jesus Christ. No, but I guess my point is that it's half true, and mm-hmm. it gets it gets romanticized. You do have to work exactly. hard. I think you do need to come home. It, like I'm wrestling with this right now, where it's like. Okay, I want to score something on the side. Okay, I got to do it in my weekend hours because by the time I'm done sitting in front of Pro Tools for eight hours a day, I'm kind of gassed. I don't want to close yeah, my session sure. and then open up another session and start working again for another yeah. couple hours. Like, And you're working on that session second rate. Exactly. Like you're starting in second. Exactly. Because you're already zapped, no yeah. matter what. Yeah. Even if it's, it's Even if it's 5%. You're still deduced you're from still what you would have You're been. still deduced. You're not your best self. You're not bringing. Yeah. You're not bringing it necessarily. And it, it. But but if I do want to, if I do want it to be that good, mm-hmm. I, it takes more time. Mm. You know. So like, could I do it if it was in a genre that I was more familiar with? Yes. But it's still music by and large. And it's and I've found now just working on this project that like it's still just if I want it to be good, I still need to like care about it and take the time mm-hmm. to do it well. And that just takes more time. Yeah. So it takes longer. Have you been reading this Rick Rubin book on creativity? No, nah, I've seen TikToks people post about it. Um, it's worth a read for you know. I, I I'm listening to it. Yeah. So that's a lot easier for me. But I found it for where you, myself, Kyle are at in our career and our personal life. And I hounded Kyle for like two weeks. I was like, "You got to read this." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." He started reading it. And he's like, "Oh my god." And I feel like you will have some moments of that where you're just like, that helps, right? And he does like three to seven minute chapters on audio. So they're like little bites. I listen to two or three and I put it down and, you know, whatever. So I recommend that for you. Yeah, tell me. I got a growing reading list right now. Yeah. Um, I'm reading this book called Thousand Crimes of Ming Su by this like first time writer named Tom Lin. And uh, it's, like, this surreal, like, story about this, like, um, this Chinese assassin who, like, uses a sharpened railroad spike as his, like, weapon. And he's, like, traveling across the country in in the turn of the century in, like, 1890s. It's very surrealist and sort of, like, magical, and it's it's pretty cool. And then On Writing by Stephen King. Janelle got me that over the holidays, so I'm, 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 I'm getting through those two. And then... You got to give me the name of the one you just mentioned. Yes. If you just Google Rick Rubin, I'm sure it'll come up. It's oh, the Rick Rubin best. one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, creativity in the title. So if you had no parameters at all, like no um, 
know uh, like the way it should be or the way it is. What is your dream? Like, you know, what do you, what would be your dream? I'm doing this. I have this power. I have this access. It's a good question. It's also a hard question. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, I've, we talked about this a lot where like, you know, in the past I've done a lot of like, I gotta be doing this to get this thing. Like I gotta, I gotta get a bunch of beats together to sell them to the artist so I can get a cut on the record and like had these very specific goals. I gotta get in touch with the, with the music supervisor so that I can, you know, pitch them my music so that I can get into the show, like get into the film and like these hyper specific goals that we were working towards in LMNOP. And I feel like I kind of had these like blinders on and it closed me off to other opportunities that were happening. So like I'm at this, I'm at this point right now and maybe that's just cause everything's like in this weird transitional phase and I just started this new job and still learning in it and kind of growing. And I feel like setting a very specific goal hasn't been helpful. And this is actually advice that you gave me um, mm. after, you know, my dad died in February and I came back and I was like, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. And you were like, my bro, like, this is kind of the same tune you've been singing for like the last couple of years. Like, and you know, pandemic aside, it's like, is it that you have to do all these things? So you got to put all this pressure on yourself. And I feel like now I'm at a place and I'm doing something that I never thought I would be doing now. Mm. And you know, it's kind of, I'm, I kind of see it manifesting mm -hmm. in a, in a health and it's been healthy for me to like do something different and just like have this, have this regular quote unquote regular job. It's not super regular just cause it's part of the in industry still, but like have a full-time job and not be working on my own passion projects and be like, running myself in circles and setting these deadlines and trying to wrangle the other members of the crew to like have the yeah. same sense of urgency that I do. And like, oh, they're my partners. Why aren't they passionate? Like I am, why don't they want to mm -hmm. fucking do this all the time? And just like die for it. <laughs> like mm -hmm. why? <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's like, no one's going to die for it, but you buddy. Like, mm -hmm. and that was part of the, the breakup was that like, I would die for my thing and they would die for their things. But like, we weren't dying for our res each other's respective things. Mm. and yeah so i love that answer great mm. answer um okay lastly if someone wanted to hire you what would they ask like what would they hire you for and what's like the best way on your instagram like how would somebody reach out in a way that's not creepy but can get a hold of you for maybe a professional gig yeah, I think Instagram is a great way to reach out, you know. And I'll have that in my description below. Yeah, your I mean, IG or... give my email too. Email is also fine. I think having a good idea of what the scope of the project, having a realistic idea of, of, uh, mm, of, of what your that's budget, important. yeah, of what your budget is, what your timeline is, what you expect of me. You know, you can engage me in a, in, in a bunch of ways. Like for the doc, I'm the composer. Like you're engaging mm -hmm. me as the composer and. And that conversation is going to be like, well, how much music are we talking about? What is the scope of the project? What's the budget of the project? What's your timeline? Um, all that stuff. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of a conversation. So when people ask you like, <laughs> excuse me, when people ask you like, well, what, what can you do this for? What, what's your rate? You know, I try not to answer that question directly because it really depends on the project. The answer I try to give is like, well, I'm happy to work within 
whatever the scope of your project is. And secondly, before we do that, determine if I'm the right fit for this mm. thing. Because I think a lot of the time, you know, that's key is like, are you the right person for this? Is it, are you going to feel comfortable doing this? And, and sussing that out is really important too. Mm. And it's hard. I love that. Yeah. I love that answer. I mean, man, isn't getting along with somebody you're working with so key to? Oh, yeah. It's, it's you know, it key. almost goes without saying, but it should be said almost first yeah. every time. I know. And it, and it and it's and it's not a priority ever. That's why I love working with Kevin. That's why I love working with you because mm, there's thank you. there's just uh there's a shorthand, there's an easygoingness mm. with certain people. And yeah. that's what you want if you're going to be in the trenches with somebody. You don't want somebody who's going to lose their shit or become a different person when things get hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's interesting you say that. Um, it's interesting you say that because that's I'm kind of as a producer finding my way through that. I used to want people who were like always like, like I'm, I'm a pro. But now, at least on movie shoots that take a long time, mm-hmm. I'm like, if I don't see somebody have a moment of expression <laughs> that might be viewed negative, whether it's exhaustion or complaint or even anger. And I'm not talking about many moments. If we're having more moments that are bad than good, we're going to have a talk, obviously. Yeah. But what I've noticed is if someone doesn't have a real moment, then I actually have to worry. Because either they don't know themselves that much or they're hiding something that they do know and it could come out nasty way later. And I've had that experience a few times now. Hmm. And I'm kind of like, huh. It depends on the project and the person and the events we're talking about. But it's something I'm paying attention to um, that's been super helpful. Well, Jesse, I just want to say I fucking love you. You're one of the best guys I know. You're certainly one of the most talented artists I know, but that's certainly second to you being a great man. And I'm so proud to know you and proud of the work you're doing on yourself and the way you've shown up for me my whole time in L.A. is something I'll never forget. So Thanks, I just man. want to say that for you here and now. And I love, love you. you. too. Yeah. Thank you. So I'm going to end the recording, but we can stay on for a minute to debrief. Cool.